0: Today's episode is brought to you by Taft Law and its Franchise Advance Program. A -a one-of-a-kind program developed by your host, Josh Brown, to help entrepreneurs assess, convert, and grow your business the right way through sound franchise structures. To learn more, go to
1: taftlaw.com and type Franchise Advance Program in the search bar. If you think like act like or are trying to grow like a franchise, then the Franchise Euphoria podcast is for you. Hello and welcome, everybody. Josh Brown here. And I created this podcast for one main goal, to help people who are trying to grow their business through franchising or franchise-like structures to do it the right way. I've been practicing law now as a franchise lawyer for many, many years, and I've seen it done the right way and the wrong way. And this podcast is not filled with a bunch of legal mumbo jumbo. Rather, I talk with real people, people who have been there, have done it, are doing it right now. And I also dive deep into specific topics related to franchising. So if this is of interest to you, you are at the right place. Enjoy. Enjoy. Welcome back to Franchise Euphoria. I'm thrilled to have on Charlie Graves, who is the CEO of Athletic Republic, which is a sports performance franchise with over 80 training centers and has surpassed two million athletes trained in the program. Hello, Charlie. Welcome to the show.
0: Well, thanks, Josh. I'm glad to be here. And greetings to everybody that's listening to Franchise Euphoria.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. I love um I love learning about systems I haven't Either already have heard of or are familiar with, and, and I'm familiar with sort of these training, you know, franchises. Obviously, this is a focus on athletes and training protocols, and we'll dive into the actual uh, Athletic Republic program. But I always like to start off by tell us about yourself a little bit, Charlie. You've got an amazing background, a world rank swimmer successful professional triathlete let's talk about charlie for a few minutes before we start talking about the franchise
0: i love having you as my pr man thanks josh (laughs) 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 yeah i was uh you know one of those athletes growing up that uh grew late late in life i didn't really i grew six inches in college i was a swimmer i walked on the swim team at iowa state and uh, barely made the team and by the time i finished my freshman year i had a, a full ride scholarship and by the time i finished college i was an all-american oh, wow uh, got caught in the 80 boycott uh, of the olympics where i was got, had gone, going into the 80 games i was ranked third in the world um so you know that uh jimmy carter and his boycott of the uh, moscow olympics kind of ended that olympic dream but you know Every sports has taught us a lot of lessons in life, right? I mean, you think about well, Can it. we
1: pause for one second? You, sure. you were, not pause on the recording, but just pause it. You were ranked third in the world?
0: Yeah, that's right. In uh 200-meter freestyle. And it probably would have gone the games in three events, so the 400 meters as well as a relay. Back then, they used to take four athletes in from each each country. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a big disappointment, Um especially as a young person when you, your whole focus has been wrapped around something that, that extreme and then have it taken away by not your own doing. Sport, you know, one thing that's great about sport is that you have a hand in your success. I mean, in sports, you learn how to preparation. You learn how to manage your fears, how to face those fears, how to be a good teammate, how to, you know, how to actually you know, be coachable and how to deal with conflict and disappointment and failures. And it's really, it was difficult lesson when, you know, here you're doing everything you can and, the dreams well, It's an had. amazing
1: story for you, yeah. but like, for, you know, what's amazing about that too is that you were a walk-on, and then you grew. You grew the six inches. Now, what that tells me in part is that you were working your tail off. You were working your butt off because before you grew the six inches, you were at a little bit of a disadvantage, right? I mean, you have you know swimming when you have the length and when you have the additional height, that can really be an advantage. But it sounds like you had you had already established you know uh, a habit of putting in a lot of work and then all of a sudden you grow six inches. it's just like wow this is this is an added bonus huh
0: well yeah it's no different than to say somebody like Kevin Durant you know in the NBA like well how does he handle the ball so well and shoot from the outside because he didn't grow till late and he was a point guard growing up and I think a lot of the things that you know athletes that are successful have faced adversity And kind of figured out a way to persevere through it. I I will tell you, I've never been the best athlete in any field of play, but I'm always the most prepared. And I've carried that into business as well. You know, I I think it's really an important skill set that doing things that are within your control to be better at what you need to do. And a lot of people just expect it to happen. They don't put in the work and, you know. You, you, you couldn't you you. from
1: swimming after that. So you you, you you talked about the 80 boycott, but after that, did you swim at all after that?
0: Actually, I hadn't swum. I, yes, I kept swimming a little bit because I ended up seeing Julie Moss crawl across the finish line of the Ironman in 82 and uh, was taken back by the fact that this young girl had, you know, put her heart and soul out there and, and barely, almost won the Ironman. And so the next day I signed up. I didn't own a bike had never run a marathon, and I signed up for an Ironman six months later and uh, ended up coming out of the water first and leading the race on ABC Wide World of Sports and uh, ended up finishing the race, not in the top 10, but still finishing in the top 50 and my first triathlon and that's amazing um, the next day uh, both coca-cola and nike signed me to sponsorships and i quit my job and as my parents would tell you i went on the world pro pro leisure tour for the next three years where i traveled the world and did triathlons and ended up managing to move my way up to being the fifth ranked triathlete in the world wow i mean that's really incredible charlie yeah, so I mean, you know that, that endurance heart that I have is is pretty astounding. Again, it feed, feeds well into the guy that wants to be prepared. So, endurance sports, you know, is is somewhat addictive, in that you get to get to be out in the roads and, and water, you know, all day long. So that was. Do you bad. still keep taps on? You know, swimming and and
1: and what's going on in the swimming world or triathlete world?
0: Yeah, of course. You know, I still have friends that you know have grown up through it and have been influencers. Um, for sure. I actually hadn't spun a lot of time in the water. I still ride quite a bit, but, uh, recently I ended up doing, I had a friend that talked me into doing a swimming event in the Caribbean this winter where we swam from island to island for five days, two swims a day, 10,000 yards, 10,000 meters a day. And it was a blast. I had a great time and uh, I'm going to take my son on a trip like that in the Galapagos next year. So sharks don't scare you, huh? Uh, They live there. Um, you know I don't. I must not taste very good because I've been in the water a lot and they, they've left me alone.
1: Yeah, I mean they mostly do, but you know it's like one of those things where it's like it only takes one time and that's enough to scare me. Maybe I'm just a little bit. I'm not as brave as you.
0: <laughs> so, or maybe you're smarter than I am. That could be a two. Well,
1: you know you touched on this a little bit, Charlie, and it is so true. I mean, you know when you when you look at the parallels between sport and business. They're all over the place. In fact, you know, in franchising, we see a lot of athletes get into franchising, both as franchisees, uh, and then also franchisors, um, you know, in their post post careers, and, you know, the the, the, the hard work, the drive, the dedication, the, the strategy, the determination, the over overcoming obstacles, I mean, all of that, is in sport and it's also in business. And so talk a little bit about how you go from this incredible sports career and then transition that over into, you know, I think initially like sports, equipment, manufacturing, and then ultimately uh, to become the CEO of Athletic Republic in 2007.
0: Sure. I think um, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, athletes that have an opportunity to hone their business skills and combine those strengths are powerful. And I had the benefit, um, actually, you know, back into my triathlon career, actually still in the middle of my triathlon career, I was negotiating my Nike contract. And I was on the way to a bike show um, to do that. And my training partner was a guy named Mark Allen. And um, he said, well, I don't have an agent. How are you doing this? I'm like, well, I'm just telling them what I want. And I'm going to say no until they say until I say yes. And goes, you sit in and do my deal, too. And I'm like, sure. And so... Um, I finished my negotiation with them and sat in through Mark's Nike negotiation. We ended up with about six times more money than he thought he was going to get. And I became his agent on the way home. And so um, I started a sports agency and representing my friends at first and other professional athletes to a point where I had a stable of about 20 athletes where I was their agent. Uh, one day, while s- still working with Mark, I was pitching AT and T on uh, him being their new long distance spokesperson, and they were like, "Nah, we don't want that. We want our own TV show." I said, "Okay, I'll get you an hour of TV time, and what we'll do is you cover all the costs, and we'll split the we'll sell the advertising and split the profits." And they're like, "Okay." Next thing you knew, I, w- I was producing TV shows for the networks and did college basketball for ABC. Did I had a Saturday- really? Had, had a Saturday morning show on with Malcolm Jamal Werner on on ABC. Did the first pro sports award show called the Jim Thorpe Pro Sports Awards with Kenny Wolf, the producer of Monday Night Football, and I did. And ended up that transition in becoming the ESPYs. So, you know, I, I had a career of about 10 years doing sports agency and TV production. Um, so I learned, you know. T- Why'd like,
1: you get out of it?
0: Um. Uh, The FCC uh, changed the business model where the networks could actually produce their own programs. Um, And so the economics and the advent of ESPN coming on the scene, um, the advertising rates weren't as favorable enough for us to make money. So I sold the business and ended up going to work in the mall business of all places. I became a head of marketing for the second largest mall operator. Again, content and distribution, my first kind of introduction to what would become a franchising model you know the we had 150 malls around the country and I was you know running marketing and then eventually operations and leasing and things like that with them uh, as an EVP for a Fortune 500 company so I took what was uh, the lessons learned in a small sports marketing business to a fi- Fortune 500 company where you now I'm wearing a suit and tie every day as an executive vice president running and managing big business lines for a billions of dollar business and so everything i've ever done has had multi unit attachment whether it's through distribution of television distribution through the shopping centers and now for franchising they all have similarities of how you deal with different constituencies that all have different needs that are very localized and
1: so how did you first learn of athletic republic because it sounds like when you you know when you came onto the scene it it was already it was already available, um, and but what, what what was the position it was in before you you know started working with it? And then how did you how did you learn of Athletic Republic?
0: So I had to, I had left the mall business and had taken over the CEO job of a private equity backed company called Sport Court that um, uh, we had turned around and then merged with um, another sport. It's
1: Sport Court. Is that the company that comes and does those those really cool basketball uh, setups at your house?
0: Yeah. Backyard game courts, you know, kind of like one of your uh, other um, franchisees that does backyards, we provided the product that they would actually go in and do that. So hoops and courts, but the actually business evolved into all sports flooring. We did. We ended up uh, buying a company that did the final the hardwood floors and I negotiated a deal to be the official provider of the final four. So now, today, the, the company does most of the NBA floors as well as all the final four floors for both men and women. Um, so it was a business that, again, back to content and distribution with local, a local flair to it. Um, I was, had, we had just sold the business and I was ready to move on and a guy I knew here in Park City was consulting for a guy named John Frapeer, who was a sports physiologist based out of Fargo, North Dakota. Um, And John had created, um, for peer acceleration sports training, this science-based idea behind helping athletes reach their fullest potential. And he had been to Russia for the Goodwill Games in 86 and saw the Russians win every gold medal in boxing and every gold medal in gymnastics. He was on the U.S. gymnastics delegation as their physiologist. They almost won every gold medal in track and field and also in, in, in swimming and Everybody's pointing fingers at the Russians. Oh, you got, uh, you got the new wonder drug these Germans hadn't figured out yet. Yeah. Russians were saying, no, physiology. We're making the body better. And so they invited five physiologists from around the world, and one American, our founder, John Frapeer, to spend a month in Russia to document what they were doing. And the first day in one of the Russian training camps, John is there and he's watching these athletes get towed behind a pickup truck uphill. Like what the hell are you guys doing? They're <laughs> jumping on the back of the pickup truck at twenty miles an hour, and he's think, like, "Oh my God, there's an accident waiting to happen." And the Russians would explain, "No, no, no, John, it's contraction of the muscles, not extension." And, uh, the, and was that was that Sylvester
1: Stallone behind that. And this was reminding me of like Rocky movies. Exactly, you know yeah. what?
0: It's exactly Rocky Four. IV. It's Ivan Drago. It's exactly what they were doing. That's no lie. They had really figured it out, and. Um, and they said, look, it's by running uphill. Uh, you you Americans do overspeed training by running downhill. Well, every time your foot goes in front of center of mass, it's braking. Every time it goes behind center of mass, it's propulsion. So, running uphill, you're recruiting more propulsive forces. Also, the truck doesn't slow down because it doesn't get tired. And so, we're teaching the athletes to run faster. And so, that began a journey for John that four years later would lead to opening his first for Peer Acceleration Sports Training Center in Fargo, North Dakota. And he was a scientist. I will say not a mad scientist, but a scientist that would write everything down, tested his hypothesis, evaluated everything. And he started working with uh, a bunch of the Cincinnati Bengals, Anthony Munoz and Icky Woods. Um, and five guys would show up on his doorstep every week, And they'd want to train together. And so the program got built around training five athletes at a time that all needed something different. And so what separates Athletic Republic today is what John started with by giving every athlete an individual workout every time they came in, even no matter how many times they've been with us or what sport or position they played. And so we train, unlike a lot of other centers, Instead of being one-on-one individual training or boot camp style or team training, we, we train in group pods of five where it's not everybody doing the same thing. It's every individual doing their own workout every time. And uh, because we've now built this arsenal of training, these workouts, these protocols, and a progression that goes with it, there's now some 3,000 pages of this that form the basis of our intelligence that help athletes improve and get the results they're looking for that's
1: fascinating and so i mean when you when you got onto the scene 2007 how developed was this was athletic republic
0: um the the training the, the work that john had done in his predecessor steve swanson and jim walker um they had done a brilliant job with the product the product was really well defined it hadn't um really bridged beyond the teen and A college athlete but the marketing side of it the business development the the there was no franchise there was no brand there was no um there was no business model there was just a product and so when i stepped in 2007 i brought with it um the idea that we could take this and custom you know scale it now it wasn't until i um joined ifa and started going to conferences that i really learned how a business model would would really apply itself in the scalability. So, unfortunately, those early years, I made a lot of mistakes, and my franchisees suffered with them. So, in two 2000- yeah, so thousand, what,
1: what did you learn through the International Franchise Association? You said IFA, right? What, what did you? What are some of the things you took from those conferences? Because you know, it's a really good point. I mean, the IFA is a is is a really good organization, and but they have a million conferences, right? And so, you've got a lot of people. You know, who you gotta kinda pick and choose, you know, the ones you go to. And obviously it's particular to your to your business, but what are some of the things that you took from some of those conferences? You know, in addition to obviously meeting people and so forth and and expanding your network, what are some specific things that you took from those programs?
0: Um, there was a lot and it wasn't just the presentations, it was the people. I think the the, the thing that makes me so amazed by the franchising community is that yes, we have We have frenemies. okay? you know, I I compete with D1 and other and ISI and a few others that are in our space and we know each other and we share similar stories. And we're, I would say, frenemies. Um, But there's thousands of other franchises that we all learn from and not just in boutique fitness, but in food and and man with a van and all the other things that are out there that are struggling with some of the same same issues that we are. Um, and whether it's pricing models and go-to-market and CRM systems and and back office support and having the right lawyer helping you craft the right FDD. I mean, all this has been done before by somebody else that's learned well. And many of the solutions they came up with are applied to all franchises. And so, you know, whether it was my first conversations with um, the Dwyer Group, and hearing how they come to market with their brands, I was sit- I sat down at the table and was just blown away with some of the same challenges they were having acquiring franchisees and helping them mm-hmm. be- teaching them, the, you know, how to follow a system, and then a having a system. Um, so I would say that you know, by after the first couple of years of making the mistakes, I sat down and systematically approached franchising far differently. Now, when I bought the business, we weren't a franchise. We turned it into one and then systematically chipped at, away at our product and how does it scale. Our education systems and how to make sure not owners, just the owners, but managers and trainers could execute and deliver it. How to add consistency to our marketing so that all could apply it in social media. How to utilize the CRM systems to generate leads so that we could drive our cost our cost per lead down and our cost of acquire a customer down? How do, how do we drive top line revenue so that the businesses could grow and, and uh, affect their bottom line performance? How do we drive cost out of things that we could scale against, whether it was equipment production and manufacturing or you know could have been marketing programs and some commonalities that we're buying? All of that came from not me and not my team it came from learning from other franchise operators that had experienced something similar and probed and challenged us to go figure out a better way to do it and so this industry is incredibly welcoming again i mentioned a couple competitors i have but there's thousands of other franchises that i talk to now regularly when i go to conferences and when people call me hey how have you figured this out or that then it's been phenomenal and You know, probably the best example is how we all got through COVID together. The industry, you know, as you recall, my God, you know, information was coming out on a daily basis, some of it misinformation and having a network of other franchise operators across the country that you could lean into, how are you communicating with customers? How are you keeping your franchisees engaged? You know, how are we not going to lose people when all our gyms are closed down? It's those kind of things as an industry that we rally together daily and, continuously help each other find a better way to be more successful.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I agree with, you know, the, I've been involved in franchising for over 17 years now. And it is true that, you know, the, a lot of people would think at first that, you know, if you're in the, if you're a restaurant franchise, you really just want to be around other restaurant franchisors and kind of learn from them. But, you know, in fact, you can learn a lot from people who are in totally different sectors or segments of franchising, because maybe they're thinking about it a little bit different. Maybe they're approaching it different. Maybe what they're doing in their sector could be applied to what you're doing. And so, just getting around all these folks, like you said, I mean, you all have similar challenges, obstacles, and opportunities you know, to deal with. And getting around them can really kind of spark that ingenuity and spark those thoughts of saying, well, you know, maybe we should do it this way. Maybe we could do it a little bit different here. And, of course, you know, one thing I know, Charlie, just getting to know you on this interview, is you are one competitive person, right? I mean, because you don't become number three in the world for swimming and number five as a triathlete without being a competitive person and figuring out your way around things and how to and 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 how to be the best. And so, you know, you obviously are bringing that to the table uh with athletic with athletic republic. And I'm curious, you know, is how, how do you look for franchisees for Athletic Republic? In other words, you've got the background, right? I mean, your credibility is instant from the perspective of you've lived this world. To a certain extent, you're still living, you know, that world, but you're a world-class athlete. And that's what you're in the business of right now is helping, you know, people with their sports performance um, and training. But what is that like for a for a franchisee who comes into the system? I mean, are you looking for somebody who has that background or is, or is it the learnings that, you know, you and others have had that can get passed on with somebody who maybe doesn't have that background?
0: You know, th- good question. You know, there's a lot of times that we work with a lot of franchise consultants too, and their job is to show lots of different brands. Um, what I care about is fi- finding somebody that has a passion for sport. Um, Especially now, again, back to post-COVID, we're seeing more semi-absentee owners come into this that have a day job and want to invest in their passing as a side hustle. Um, Yeah, a profitable side hustle, but still one that they want to do on the side. And if it's successful, maybe down the road they transition and become full-time if they have multi-units. I look first and foremost for somebody that cares about sport, that grew up playing sport, that has kids playing sport, that understands the role of sport in somebody's development. If you're looking at athletic republic and a donut franchise, chances are you're not my guy or gal. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong, I love donuts, but um, but that's probably not the same thing. I'm looking for somebody that um that's
1: perfect. You know, people who eat donuts need to go work out, you know? I mean, they need to work out more.
0: But you know, I'm looking for somebody that's got passion, you know, for this. Yeah. And, you know, I would what's been since Covid, a couple of things that we've seen again. One more uh, semi-absentee owners that you know primarily. Hey, I was coaching my kids, and and now they kind of grown out of my ability to do that. But I still want to stay involved in sports. Or maybe she, you know, played varsity volleyball in college, and you know, has a, had a career. Now went home to raise the kids, and now wants to get back into a career. This is a great transition into that mom work. I would say. Over fifty percent of our new franchisees are female, um, which is something that hadn't happened pre-COVID. It had been primarily uh, guys that had been buying our franchisees, Um, but now it's become much more female dominant in in tapping into those mom networks. So I like it when couples come to us. I like it when they have that passion for sport, and I really want to connect. You know, think about it for yourself. You as a franchise buyer. Most of your career, professional career, you're responding, reacting to opportunities, either with the company that you have or somebody's headhunting you. You're not really out there shopping for something. You're reacting to franchi- to opportunities that come at you. You come to a franchise, it's probably the first times that you actually get to make a decision about what you want to do. And so I want that passion. If you want to do something, you're going to be far better at it. So you got to bring the heart to it. And then part of the conversation when I'm looking at it is – I'm going to bring the head to it. Is this going to generate the kind of returns you need for your family on your time and treasure? You know, it's going to be fulfilling enough for you to be able to make it justifiable for you and your family to invest the effort into it. So I look at trying to combine the heart and the head so that, you know, we get a good operator that's not only has a passion for sport, but also has a mind for business that's going to drive this forward.
1: And really, it seems like it's probably a multi-unit opportunity, right? I mean, that's that's would probably be ideally. You're looking for people who don't just want to own and operate one; they want to own and operate multiple units. I mean, is that fair?
0: Um, I I I don't ever sell multi units. Uh, I sell one unit. Um, let's invest our time and energy in that first. Let's and then a year after you're open, let's talk about number two. Um, yeah, I, of course we want to see multi-unit operators, but you know, let's let's make the first one successful first before you start worrying about putting money into a second one. I think a lot of a lot of franchises get caught up in sales. I'm not a commission sales guy. I am paid by having successful operators pay us royalties, and so what I'm in the job business of is opening successful operators.
1: Well, that's really where you want to be, right? I mean, that's where the alignments are with the franchisor and franchisee is that you want them to be more successful, have more memberships, drive more revenue. Because then in turn, if they do that, then then you as the franchisor make more money. Uh, you had mentioned about the franchise consultants, I right?
0: Excuse me, just add to that. That's absolutely right. And if they are successful, then let's look at number two and three from there rather than doing it out of the gate when you have to put money up that is going to be dead money for a period of time until you can get open. I don't believe having a, a portfolio of sold not opens is good for us. Right now, I try to manage our sold not opens to be under 10 units so that…
1: I'm, oh, I'm really glad you, I honestly I'm really glad you mentioned that because for for those who 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 don't quite know what that is essentially is you have a lot of franchise systems that have either brokers, um consultants, combination of the two and this is not about bashing them at all. There are very good brokers, very good consultants, but their jobs are to basically sell as many as possible, right? Like let's let's sell. And so you have franchise systems that you know take a look at. The, their most important metric is, hey, we've sold you know seventy locations, um, but then you look at how many are open, how fast they're opening. And what you're saying, Charlie, which I, which I do like, I, I think it's the right way to approach it, is you're not interested in getting that game. What you're trying to do is sell these things to the right people and get them open and get them operating because that's actually when revenue... Uh, is coming in and then if you do a good job then you make more royalties whereas there are certain franchise systems where it seems (laughs) the revenue model is just to sell more and more franchises because they get that initial franchise fee usually Um, and and they don't have as great of an interest in getting them open quickly right?
0: well and and it's our capacity to open successful centers isn't that high. I mean, I can open, I mean, again, we have 80 units open. I can open, you know, one a month, essentially. And because well, you reason- got to have a
1: team, right? You got to have the operational support team to support all that.
0: Right. And, you know, you're, you're, look, I take to heart that somebody's trusting their retirement, their capital with us. They're making, uh, they're placing their, their, guarantee of their home on the sba loan i mean these are big investments that people are making and i take that to heart and i want to a get them open as quickly as we can right now we're averaging seven to nine months it's a little bit longer than it has been because for some reason real estate's taking us longer um let's get them open quickly let's get them to cash flow break even in fact a lot of our effort and support is getting them to their first hundred members in the first hundred days. We want them to hit cash flow break-even within six months post-open. And to do that, I have to have a, a team that's committed to their onboarding success and get them through pre-sale and into operations fast so they can t- learn the systems and get there. And then once they cross that horizon of being cash flow break-even, then they're off and rolling and they and you know we know that we're gonna we're gonna generate the returns we're looking for. So we take our time in one, qualifying the right candidates and two opening people that are going to be successful rather than just selling more units and having them sit on the sideline till we can get around to
1: it. Talk about how, you know, a big thing in franchising, you know, from my perspective is you have the value at the outset of the relationship and then you have the ongoing value down the road. And what I mean by that is the value at the, at the onset of the relationship It's usually pretty clear, right? I mean, you're going to offer a a platform, you're going to offer a quote unquote playbook for somebody who can come in and follow it. But at some point in time, they're going to understand that playbook, you know, they're going to learn it, they're going to know it. And so there's got to be that secondary Value that you as a franchisor provide, and oftentimes it's by way of you know new new training programs or technology or whatnot. Talk a little bit about what you guys offer at Athletic Republic. Once somebody is open operating, they understand it. What's the ongoing value uh, proposition for for the franchisee where, where they they're continuing to gain value from the relationship with the franchisor?
0: Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think. It, in the most broadest sense, it's scale, right? I mean, we're doing things that they can't do themselves. And top of mind right now for us, you know, marketing programs. You know, we we don't you don't need to hire an agency for to run your local marketing as one of our franchise operators. We're giving you all the content; you're just having to execute the playbook. So you know, our marketing campaigns that we create, whether it's social, um, video, print posters, in-center, out-of-center, you name it. It's comprehensive with each campaign and they can run it locally without having to hire another agency or outside person. And our example would be technology. We've made huge investments in technology where we've wanted to bring our data into one common platform. So you think about athlete intelligence. Our version of AI today is uniting front-end CRM and website point-of-sale and transactions, the reporting that comes out of that, along with athlete development so that we're assessing their capabilities every six weeks and seeing how they're improving, as well as programming on the back end so that we're delivering our training protocols seamlessly to our centers. Now, by uniting all of that data into one place, we're running predictive analytics over the top of it so we can see as a business – What are the KPIs that are driving? Revenue month to date, retention rates, referral rates, cost per lead, conversion of of lead to to member, but also, you know, who are our most likely buyers? Who are the ones that that came in and what are they most likely to do next? And then the athlete side is, okay, they've just come through a six-week training program with us. We saw them improve their speed and agility. What's next? How do we help them get onto the JV squad or into the starting lineup? And so... I think what we are doing with business and athlete intelligence um, by uniting all these these information streams into a common database so that we can mine that information to be better, more specific, more targeted at communicating with both customer and athlete and, par- and prospect, that helps us um, improve the business and the investment that we're making the staff that we have doing this. Um, and the intelligence that we're applying to it is far beyond what any one of our franchisees could even contemplate. So I think scale is the thing that they look for and continuous improvement. As we listen to our customer, both franchisee and end user, to try to deliver programs and offerings that are going to be more pointed, not just new program offerings, but ways to make their business better
1: well that's great i mean you know that those are the things that really a franchisee you know needs to be thinking about is you know what am i getting into it for, now for and then what what's what's it down the road cuz you know cuz obviously they they're trying to build a business they're trying to build a business um and utilize your platform. And so, certainly, you know, all those things are, are added values to that process. You know, one final question before we end here um, What are you guys looking forward to over the next couple of years, you know, in, in terms of for Athletic Republic, your growth? Um, you know, what are some of the things that you
0: kind of have on the horizon? Well, one, I, you know, I, I think the celebrating of our athlete successes is, is profound. I mean, I love it, you know, when we can look at the athletes and see them, you know, whether they made the starting lineup, they made the team, you know, it's a daily celebration all the way through to, you know, Caleb Williams winning the Heisman Trophy. His dad is one of my franchisees and Caleb's been training with us since he's been in fifth grade and even gave us a shout out during his Heisman acceptance speech. So I love seeing that. That's real cool. That's really cool. Um, and one of his training mates, you know, Blake Corum, who's a running back at Michigan and also trains with us, we could have two Heisman finalists this next year, you know, along with top draft picks. So it, it, celebrating the athlete achievements, I think every one of our centers loves. And they all can celebrate every one of, you know, any athletes that come through our system because they all have a hand in it. Um, I, I think franchise development, we certainly want to see our footprint expand beyond 80 150 units that we continue to open successful centers in markets. I think this technology is is certainly has me something that I'm excited about. We're collecting a level of data and intelligence that is the world's largest sports performance database. it's something that nobody else in our space is doing. It's it's the kind of thing that the NBA is doing for 15 athletes on a team that we're doing for 50,000 athletes a year. What comes out of that data? and our knowledge about how athletes improve and how their performance gains is going to be profound and i'm excited and i have no idea what we're going to learn but i'm excited to find out how we can apply that intelligence to not only our business but also each athlete's development
1: well, your passion and excitement clearly shines through. And if anybody wants to learn more about Athletic Republic, you can go to athleticrepublic.com. There'll be information on that side about franchising and otherwise. Um, I do have one final question for you.
0: Hey, and, you said that a minute ago.
1: I know, I, but, I, but I have to ask this. I, I, I have to ask this. I, I've never had the opportunity. I've been doing this podcast since 2013. So I've got to ask this question. You and your heyday as a swimmer, against Michael Phelps in his heyday. Right? You're you are number 3 in the world. He Michael Phelps, number 1. Are you going to beat him? Or number 2, how much of a fight are you going to give him in that race?
0: He uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know, as a competitor, I'd like to say that, I'd, you know, that I'd give him a fight, but he would lap me. I mean, the, he, Michael Phelps is phenomenal. And you know, with all sports, I mean, you see the progression, you know, my times back in my day today, you know, I wouldn't even make the Olympic, you know, the Olympic qualifying standards. Um, you know, athletics, you know, the great thing about it is that we all, we're all we learning all the time and how to help athletes improve and better. And, you know, athletes of the past, you know, can't compete with the athletes of today. It just doesn't even get close because they're so much better. And Michael Phelps is just such a unique talent. You know, he's a GOAT, you know, that you're Does not him at all. I don't know. I've met him. I actually yeah. talked to an airport and sat with him um, for about an hour one night. But, you know, to say we're friends, no, but I've met Michael and, and I really think the world of him and, and what he's done, not just as an athlete, but his his commitment to social values, too, is something that Absolutely. Yeah. is really, you know, to use his platform for common good. I, t- I mean, if more people did that like he is with their genuine heart, we'd all be in a better place. Yeah,
1: he's he's done a really good job of really highlighting, like, hey, you know, this is what people think this is, but but here is what the reality is behind it, and here is the you know the anxiety and the de- and and the depression and and all this kind of stuff, and the life that you know you put at least for him, you know, put himself through to get to that level, and a lot of people don't think about that stuff, uh, but it really shines a light on all of it. Absolutely. Well, Charlie, this has been a true pleasure. Um, really, really thrilled to have had the opportunity to speak with you. Um, I like what you're doing. Um, perhaps as we, you know, over the next, you know, year or two, we'll do a follow up episode to see how you've continued to grow and grow. Obviously, you guys are doing well. But thank you for taking the time uh, to come on and, and share share your story and the story of Athletic Republic. I uh, really appreciate it.
0: You're welcome. Look forward to talking with you again and and anybody else that's interested in learning more about our business, not just Athletic Republic, but as a franchise or franchisee, if I can help in any way, please don't be afraid to add me to your network. Uh, We're all in this together and I'm happy to help anyone um, help them achieve their goals as well.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Franchise Euphoria. If you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. It really helps to get this show out to more and more people. Also, if you have any questions, have ideas for guests or topics, please email me, josh at IndieFranchiseLaw.com. That's josh at indie, I-N-D-Y, franchiselaw.com. And finally, please know that this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes and is not in any way, shape, or form meant to be any kind of legal advice. If you're seeking legal advice, please contact a lawyer. Have a great one. Happy franchising.